Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word endures for all generations. Father, I thank you that your word is living and active today. Father, thank you that as we gather around in this moment, around the scriptures, Father, I thank you we're not looking at some historical text alone. You are the God who can breathe life through your word this morning. So Lord, I thank you that every single one of us would just be wide open to what you are wanting to say today. Heavenly Father, as I preach this word, may I just be your servant in this moment. And may everything that you had on your agenda for today come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Excellent. Well, we are in our final week in our series on the will of God. And uh, if you've been around, you'll know that this has been an exciting journey. There's been so much great feedback to this specific subject concerning the will of God. If you missed any of the weeks, then as always, they're available online or via the Family Church app. But we've been looking at this series because the will of God is something that so often has been made into something mystical or mysterious, right? Remember we said in week one that so often we're like, what is the will of God? Well, I don't even know how to understand it. And so we've been talking about the will of God, the will of God being his desires, his intentions, his motives towards your life. And we've been asking some questions. How do I discover the will of God? How do I walk in the will of God? How do I know what God's specific will is for my life when I'm making a big decision or I have to go down a certain path as we looked at in our pathway series? How do I know which path to take and what God's will is in that situation? And so we've been looking at all those questions in this series. Very brief recap for those who have missed a week or another. Week one, we talked about the revealed will of God. And we said that before we go in search of his specific will for us individually, There's a whole lot that God has already revealed in his word about his intentions, his desires, and his thoughts towards how we're to live our lives. And that's called the revealed will of God. And and all we need to do to discover the revealed will of God, it's pretty simple, all we need to do is open up our Bibles and read it and apply it in our lives. And so in week one, we looked at a couple of examples of the revealed will of God. And then we talked about how to read the Bible. We looked at some practicalities concerning that so again if you missed that week it's available online and last week we looked at uh, two different directions God's permissive will and God's perfect will and again there was a lot of feedback to that week people who had often questioned what is the permissive will of God what is the perfect will of God and if you've never heard those phrases and again you weren't around last week it's available I'd really encourage you to give it a listen but here's a key thought that came through last week it's never too late to start walking in God's perfect will for your life. It's never too late to start walking in his perfect will for your life. It doesn't matter whether you're you know, 70 years old, that's how old Abraham was, 90 years old, it is never too late to start walking in his perfect will for your life. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made in your past. It doesn't matter whether you look behind you and there's a whole trail of destruction in your life. It is never too late to start walking in God's perfect will. I don't care if you've been saved for two weeks, it is a great start time to start walking in the perfect will will of God for your life. Do we believe that this morning? Okay, so let's move on to our final part of our thoughts this week, again beginning with our key verse, Romans chapter 12, which has been the foundational text for our whole series. Romans 12, we're going to read verses 1 to 2. And I'm hoping this morning my voice is going to hold out a little bit better than it did last week, and uh, you were incredibly patient with me. But Romans 12, 1 to 2 says this, 
Therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now last week we made this point that choosing God's will is all about choice. Right? We are left with a choice. We have a choice to choose God's will or not. It's all about choosing his will and his ways over our own. Choosing God's will over what we might prefer, what we might desire, what we might understand. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, once said this, Every prayer in the universe falls into two categories. Your will be done or my will be done. What a great statement. Every single prayer in the universe falls into two categories. Your will be done or my will be done. In other words, there isn't really an in-between option. right? You can't dabble in, oh, it's a little bit of my will, it's a little bit of God's will. The reality is, it's either God's will or it's our own desire and will in our life. There isn't really an in-between because your will be done is often a direct replacement of our own will in our lives. So when we're desiring to walk in God's will, we're going to be confronted with choices. Do I do what I prefer, which may well be within the permissive will of God that we looked at last week? Or do I know, do what I know God is willing and wanting me to do? It's a choice-based thing. God won't force you to choose his way. Remember we, what we said last week. He's given us free will. We're not a robot, right? We're not robots in this place. Well, okay, we are. Just confirm to me. Just give me a wave this morning to prove you're not. Okay. We have free will. We have choice. Some of you chose in that moment. I'm not waving. Who does he think he is? He doesn't control me. I don't do what he says in church. You made a choice in that moment as to whether to join in or not and be grumpy. Okay, let's move on. Every choice is left to us. Do I do what is more comfortable and easy for me? Or do I do what may cost me something, knowing that it's God, what God desires and has intended for me? It's a choice. And choosing his will will so often cost us in one way or another, but it will always bring about a better reward. Now, I want to look at a brilliant example of that in the Gospels, a powerful example in Luke chapter 22. And we'll turn there in just a moment, but if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 22. Because in Luke chapter 22, we come across this moment where Jesus has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane, the other side of a Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. And the moment where he's in is this moment where he's just had the Passover uh, dinner, the Last Supper, as it's commonly known. We know these moments that we so often look at Easter time. And Judas has just left the room. We know he's gone to betray Jesus. And Jesus decides to go over to the Mount of Olives, specifically the Garden of Gethsemane, where they often went to pray. And he has this moment where he knows he needs to retreat. He knows he needs to compose himself because he's about to face something that no other human being has ever faced. And in this moment, he's in a place of turmoil. He's in a place of torture. He's in a place of distress. Because he knows what's about to come his way in terms of physical torture. The physical horror of the cross. 
Yet more than that, he knows the spiritual context of what he's about to face. He knows that in this moment, he's going to take upon himself the sin of every single sinner that has ever lived and will ever live. He knows he's about to take upon himself the punishment that should have been aimed our way. He knows he's going to be forsaken by the Father. And so in this moment, he makes this statement, Father, if it is possible, Father, if you are willing Take this cup from me. Now that may sound kind of strange. What, what, what does he mean by that cup? The cup was an Old Testament image of a wrath and the judgment of God. And so all throughout the Old Testament, it talks about the judgment of God, the, the, the cup of, of God. And so in this moment, he's about to drink for us the judgment that should have been named our way. Jesus is troubled. He's kneeling. He's praying. He's being pressed. He's being crushed. In fact, Gethsemane, which is a garden that he's in, literally means olive press. And that's what's happening in this moment. He's being pressed. He's being tortured in this moment. He's facing what no human has ever faced. In fact, it's such a terrible time that the capillaries burst. And we know that as you read the scriptures, there was blood that was dropping from his sweat glands. And in this moment, in this setting, in the audience of one, Jesus prays these words. Let's look at Luke chapter 22, 39 to 43. It says, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. Now listen to this next phrase. Yet not what, sorry, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. But an angel came from heaven, appeared, and strengthened him. Jesus made a choice. He chose the will of God, knowing it would cost him. Knowing for him it would cost him his life. He made the choice, knowing that God's will is always greater than our own. His ways are higher than our own. His will is greater than our own choices. He said yes, knowing It would redeem all of humanity. Jesus chose the perfect will of God. He said, not my will, Father, but yours be done in this moment. Knowing it would cost him, but knowing it was a root, that it would lead to life and blessing. So you see, in Jesus, we have a saviour who understands firsthand. When you're in prayer and you're saying, Jesus, you don't understand. He's like, "Uh, I kind of do. We understand, he understands firsthand what it means to say to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Right? And in fact, this wasn't just a moment. This was a lifestyle choice that he displayed. This wasn't one moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was how we lived for 33 years. John chapter 6. Beginning at verse 38, listen to the words of Jesus. It says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God. But I should not lose even one of all those who he has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up again on the last day. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven to do the will of my Father and not my own will. So this statement in the garden, not my will but yours be done, was not a momentary decision. It was a lifestyle way of living. Now you may say, well, that's Jesus. He's the Son of God. That's easy for him to do. 
Well, I would argue against that, but even if you go down that line, there were other people in the New Testament who displayed what it was to choose God's will over their own. Let's look at the Apostle Paul, who many times chose God's will. One particular moment in Philippians chapter 1, he's in prison and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he makes this point that he would rather be in heaven with Jesus but for the sake of those who needed him on earth, he would retain and remain and walk in God's will. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. says this, For me to live, sorry, for to me to live is Christ. He is my source of joy, my reason to live. And to die is gain. For I will be with him in eternity. If, however... It is to be life here and I am to go on living. This will mean useful and productive service for me. So I do not know which to choose if I am given that choice. For I am hard pressed between the two. I have the desire to leave this world and be with Christ. For that is far, far better. Yet to remain in the body, in other words to continue living, is more necessary and essential for your sake. So we have the example of Jesus. We have the example of Paul. And Jesus actually said... Well, it's a family characteristic to walk in the will of God. In other words, when you choose the will of God over your own will, you know what you're doing? You're showing yourself to be a true child of God. You're showing yourself to be part of a family of God. You say, where's that in the Bible? Okay, Mark chapter 3, verse 32. It lays this out. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Now, he wasn't confused in this moment. He knew exactly who they were, but he's making the point. Then he looked around at those around him and he said, Look, these are my mother and these are my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. We display ourselves to be part of a family of God when we know what it is to choose God's will over our own. So as we've been saying in this series... We have a choice to do our will or to do the will of God. Our will will often be more comfortable and easy. God's will will always be difficult and costly, but choosing God's will will always bring better results. Now, I want to look at some practical everyday examples of this this morning because I could stand here and talk about the fear of it. We could leave this place today and and theoretically know what it is to choose the will of God over our own will. But let's talk about when the rubber hits the road. Let's talk about some practical everyday examples of what it is to choose God's will over our own choice. Here's one, how we respond to our enemies. Right, The rubber's going to hit the road in this moment and we can talk all we want about, yes, I choose the will of God. Okay, let's look at how this outplays in actual reality. The Bible talks a lot about our enemies, and that's not a phrase that we often use in 2023, you know, my enemies. But what we do subconsciously is we group people. Every single one of us do this, whether we're consciously doing it or not. Hopefully you don't have like a journal where you actually group people. That would be a little bit strange and obscure, and you need some counselling for that. We'll talk to you about that. But hopefully you don't do that. But the reality is we subconsciously group people. So you have people in your life that you would label as friends. People who you just enjoy being around. People that you share life with. Some of you may have one or a few best friends that you're really close to. Some of you, your connect group would fall into this friends category. Some of you, you have friends of friends. Of course, today we have loads of social media friends, whether they're friends or not. 
but we have this group called friends. Then there's other people that you would categorize in group, and they're just kind of like people that you kind of avoid. That they're not in a bad camp, they're not in a great camp, you just kind of avoid them, you just kind of ignore them, they're not really part of your life, and the reason is that there's differences between you and them. Those differences could be anything. Lifestyle, habits, how they raise their kids, their belief system. And differences at times, if we allow them to, become difficulties in our life, or we allow them to become difficulties. So you've got friendship groups over here. You've got this kind of group that you don't really know how to label, you just kind of just go out of your way to ignore them and avoid them. You've got other people who irritate you. Right, that's this is not the moment to look around at anybody. <laughs> And if you look at your spouse right now, then please come and see us after seven. But there are people who just irritate you. We're not going to label them today, but you label them each day. You, you just know they're, they're the people that when they walk into the room, you're like, ah, hey, good to see you. They just rub you up the wrong way for whatever reason. And then there's another group that you would know as public enemy number one for you. They are the people who continuously hurt us. They are the people that if I was to just say their name today, something would happen inside of you emotionally. You know there's a response when you hear that name for whatever reason. They're people who, for some it may be an ex-spouse, a relative, someone who's constantly negative about you, boss who makes your life incredibly difficult or mistreats you, a neighbour who you're praying will just move out one day, a person you you were dating who broke your heart, that person who let you down and walked out. The truth is, whatever group people are in, however we classify them, we have people in our lives that we would label as difficult. Right? That's life. And I hate to break it to you, but if I was talking to another group of people, you may be in the classification of difficult for them. Okay? That's how life works. It's a reality. And being a Christian doesn't make you exempt from that. In fact, being a Christian seems to attract even more people because God's trying to do something within us. And people won't often stand for what you believe in or stand for. But we have a choice as to our reaction to people. We can choose to go the way of this world. We can choose to conform to the pattern of this world and just go with how everybody else reacts. Avoid people. Go out of our way not to connect with people who are different to us. We can respond with retaliation to those who have hurt us. This culture that we live in gets on the boxing gloves and gets ready to fight, right? And, and the problem is it always has to go up a notch because they retaliate, then we retaliate, and then they retaliate, and so on and so on, and we don't even know what started it. We don't even know what it's about. The only thing we care about is who got the last shot in. And the world will say, this is the way to respond to people that you find difficult. It will make you feel better. You'll feel good about yourself. And so we often line up with this will and this intention. Because it's often easier for us. When actually we know if we were to be truthful that it costs us in the long run. Here's God's will for us as explained by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 44. He says, if you want to know God's will for how to deal with these situations and these people, this is what Jesus says. But I say, love your enemies. Love. Love 
your enemies. And then he takes it up a notch. Pray for those who persecute you. And as we've said before, it doesn't mean pray that they'll get struck by lightning. Pray God's blessing on them. Now, now you see in this moment, Jesus says, oh, you can respond the way the world responds, or else you can follow the will of God, which is going to be harder. It's going to cost you something, but it will lead to a life of blessing. Because Jesus in this moment isn't even saying, put up with them. He's not saying, just tolerate them, right? He's not saying, I don't know, just grunt at them instead of punching them. Because some of you are like, I, I could handle that. Jesus is saying, love them. Pray for them. And he does away with every single category that we might come up with. He says, love those who are like you. Love those who are nothing like you. Love those who agree with you. Love those who disagree with you. Love those that you can't wait to be around. Love those who you can't stand to be around. Love your enemies. Love the people in your life. Now this is a huge topic. Time doesn't allow us to go into it fully. But we're left with a choice. Do I choose my will, which is the way of the world, to respond in a certain way? Or do I choose God's will in this moment, which is hard, which is costly at times, but it will lead to blessing? You see, what we learn, what the Bible teaches us and what experience displays to us is that God's will will always be better in the long run. How we respond to our enemies. Here's another one. How we handle our finances. We're left with a choice, our will or God's will. Now, the pattern of this world is to place all our security and sometimes even our identity in finance. It becomes our security, especially in this moment of a cost of living crisis. And, and so when it, when it comes to finances, our response so often is to hold on to it, to, to make it what we put our hope and trust in. And yet the Bible says this, that money itself isn't evil, but you cannot serve God and at the same time be enslaved to finances. It's not a reality that you can outwork. And so in this world, we're taught, we're taught financial principles, as we've said before, that look like this. Closed fist. I'm going to hold on to what's mine. I'm going to place my security in what is mine. My identity may even be founded in what is mine. God's will comes in and says, do you know what? My will for your life in the area of your finances is to live like this. To live open-handed. To live a generous life. God's will will be far more difficult. God's will certainly will be more costly. But the Bible teaches us and experience displays to us that choosing God's will will always lead to greater blessing. Proverbs eleven twenty four says this. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The message paraphrase puts it this way. The world of a generous gets larger and larger. The world of a stingy gets smaller and smaller. You see how this outworks on a practical everyday, but we can talk all we want about choosing the will of God and we can all walk out going, yeah, we're going to choose the will of God this week. This is when the rubber hits the road. These are the kind of things that it looks like. Okay, one more. Choosing to be joyful and thankful in all things rather than dejected and bitter. It's a choice. Are we going to choose the way of the world? Or are we going to be transformed by renewing of our mind and actually choose to walk in God's will? Now this is one that we looked at in week one of our series. It's easy to get overwhelmed with life, right? It's difficult 
sometimes, when difficulties come our way, as they often will, our will, our desire, is to push people away, to isolate ourselves, to choose to become dejected and bitter, because that's what so much of the world does. That's what we've been taught and raised to do. But remember the, the verses that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Right? Sometimes what you want to do is curl up in a ball and just feel sorry for yourself and just complain like Eeyore, right? Out of Winnie the Pooh. And suddenly you have those people in your life who come across like positive Tigger in your life. And they're in the workplace or in your family. And they suddenly become an enemy in your life. But we've dealt with how to deal with them. So that's okay. But, but you just want to curl up. You just want to surrender in this area of your life. When actually the Bible comes along and shows us God's will. God's will is that in all things we would give thanks. God's will, as displayed elsewhere in Scripture, is to do everything without complaining and arguing. God's will is that we would live a rejoicing life no matter what comes our way, amen? And so that's where, again, we separate out happiness to this thing of joy, that we understand that God's will is for us to be overcomers in Christ Jesus. God's will is that we stop looking down at the disappointment of this world and we start looking at the Word of God that declares who we are, that we are more than conscious through the one Christ Jesus. Amen. Overwhelming victory is ours. The Bible says he leads us in a triumphant procession of victory. But it's our choice. Am I going to curl up and just complain and be dejected? Or am I going to give thanks in all things? Am I going to be somebody who rejoices always? Choosing God's will is never easy. It will often come with a cost, but it's a way that will lead to a better life. And you know what? It's a way that will not only affect your life now, not only your life in the future, but also the life to come. But when we know what it is to choose the will of God, we can be positioned in eternity to hear those words spoken over our lives. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done that you chose my will when it wasn't easy. Well done that you chose my will when it was uncomfortable. Well done that you chose my will when everything within you wanted to go in a different direction. You did not conform to this pattern of this world, but you were transformed by the renewing of your mind to know God's pleasing and good and perfect will. Choosing God's will is always better in the long run. Let's end with this, Helen, you can come up. We're just going to round us off, round the series. It's a great prayer to finish with. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, it's outlined in other Gospels as well. The disciples have been watching Jesus' prayer life. And they come to Jesus and they say, would you teach us how to pray? Now, in response, he doesn't give them a, a formulaic prayer that we have to follow and recite even though the, the, the Lord's Prayer is a powerful prayer but Jesus' intention in that moment wasn't this is a prayer I'm going to hand to you and you're just going to recite it he gave him a model for prayer and within that model for prayer he speaks about different aspects of what it is to pray and in the midst of that he says this Matthew 6 verse 9 our Father in heaven 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, another way of saying that would be your will be done in my life and through my life on earth as it is in heaven. And so just at the end of this series, I want us, if you're able to, just, just to stand. If you're not able to, that's fine. But just, just stand in this moment because I want to pray over each and every single life here. Some of you as individuals, some of you as couples, some of you as households. I want to pray God's will over your life. We've talked in this series about God's revealed will, God's perfect will for us, God's permissive will. But we're left with a choice. Will I choose what is comfortable and easy? Or will I choose God's will for my life, which I know may be more difficult, may be more hard, but it will lead to incredible blessing, not only in this life, but in the life to come. So I'm going to pray for you in this moment. Before I do, I want you to pray, not necessarily out loud, just internalize this and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you just begin to speak to people. Different areas, maybe things that were there, obviously as I was sharing the word, but maybe other things that the Holy Spirit is just bringing to remembrance in this moment concerning his will for your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your revealed will. But Lord, through your Holy Spirit right now, I just pray that for those who are confused, for those who are looking at so many different options and pathways, Lord, would you make your will so clear in this moment? And in the coming week, would you confirm it through scripture and prophecy and all these tools that you have given us that we would understand what your will is for our life? Father, thank you that we have your word as a compass that we will know that you'll never deviate from what you've already spoken. But in this moment, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reveal your will to people about different areas of our life. Lord, for others, I pray that those who know your will, those who are in their Garden of Gethsemane moment, and they don't know which way it's going to go. They want to do what's right, but they don't know whether they've got the strength. I pray, Father, that as they declare... God, not my will, but your will be done. You would strengthen them in this moment, Holy Spirit. You would give them the courage to make good decisions. You would give them the boldness to do what is right. Holy Spirit, you would give them the faith to walk away from what does not seem logical, from, from things when you speak, Lord, and it seems illogical to our natural senses. May we be directed by faith and not by the other senses that we have that are natural. Just as you spoke to Abraham, step out of what you've known to step into what I have for you. Heavenly Father, I speak that over people in this place today who know in their heart that it's for them today. Heavenly Father, make it clear if it's to us this morning. Step out of what you have known to step into what He has for you next. That means leaving behind certain things. That means leaving behind certain mindsets. That means stepping out when it doesn't always make sense. Knowing that you are walking in His will for your life he will direct your steps if you choose to acknowledge him in this moment so let the Holy Spirit speak to you 
in this moment. Father, thank you that you demolish strongholds of wrong thinking in this place as people commit to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Father, I thank you that you demolish strongholds that have been in people's thinking their whole life, maybe for generations, that we would truly walk in the freedom that you have given to us. So Father, as we finish this series today as a church community, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your guidance. And I thank you for all the incredible testimonies we're going to hear of people saying, I stepped out on his perfect will for my life. And look what the Lord has done for me. God, to you be the glory. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. And amen. Give God praise for what he's about to do in our lives.